0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. I'm your host, Randy, on the mic. And on this show, we embrace newcomers and experts alike to everything crypto, NFTs, metaverse, and Web3. This is a town hall event with a live studio audience. Make some noise, <laughs> live studio audience. Yes! And this is very exciting. This is our first time back doing this uh, since before the pandemic and I could not imagine a better person to be in this room with than my dear friend, incredible entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, thank you so much for being here. Oh my
1: god, I'm like just having actual other human beings (laughs) in the same room. This is like a dream come true. Randy, it's really good to be with you again.
0: It's amazing. All right, I'm going to brag about Gary for a sec. Gary goes by Gary V, which we all know. Serial entrepreneur, serves as chairman of vaynerx ceo vayner media creator and ceo of v friends of which i am a holder and very excited he is considered one of the leading global minds one of the leading global mind on what's next in culture relevance and the internet whether it's emerging artists esports, nft investing digital communications gary understands how to bring brand relevance to the forefront uh gary i I just remember it was just yesterday that you and I were like the new kids of Web two. Now we're the adults in the room. <laughs> I, I, that's oh a my. big problem for everyone. <laughs> I, if we're the big adults. Problem. So what, I mean, what is that like? Like the we're Like we're the veterans now in this new wave.
1: You know, it's funny. That's why I think Web three came so natural to me in winter twenty twenty because of that era of web2 that where we met many many moons ago and then for me because I'm a little older than you web1 was something I was a part of you know I launched my dad's liquor store into an e-commerce player in 1997. You know, it's a thousand years ago in technology, but like what I saw when people didn't know how to use a credit card in a computer, like today with Web3, everyone's like, I don't know how to get Ethereum, or like my stuff got stolen, or all this stuff that everyone's like, it's a scam, or it's scary. Well, that's exactly what (laughs) 40-year-olds thought in 1997 about putting their credit card into a computer. What seems mundane to many of us now was scary. Same with social. People were... Like most people were like, who cares that I'm walking the dog? And I remember having that <laughs> debate. I'm like, everyone. That's just <laughs> kind of how the world actually works. But you know, I mean, you were at the forefront of this with at Facebook and and Twitter. Those really leading the way at that point. Post MySpace, it was very clear to me in two thousand six seven that everybody was going to do this. And now I think we all know this. Like if you're fifteen it is a core essence of life, of like Mm -hmm. how social media plays into your life. I think the same thing will play out in NFT land, a little bit different. I think it's more infrastructure. I think NFT land, Web 3 is more Web 1 than Web 2 in my opinion. What I mean by that is, NFTs today get a lot of attention for collectability and art, which is amazing, and that's a part of it, and I love that part, which is why I'm moving fast on it. But I think tickets to events, you know we're talking Broadway before in the Mm -hmm. green room, I genuinely believe that every single Broadway show's ticket and playbill has the potential to be an NFT in 10 or 15 years because it makes a lot of sense for both the audience member and for the production. Right? If you think about it, when people challenge me on that, I'm like, what's a QR code or a confirmation email? That's not bringing, per se, any value, but as soon as you turn it into an asset, that the people that issue the Dear Evan Hansen NFT mm-hmm. for opening night, that becomes a collectible. I once bought 5,000 playbills at a garage sale and did very <laughs> well with that flip. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think that Web3, the consumer blockchain is gonna be a huge deal. I recommend everybody in this audience, here and listening, before you start spewing random things you heard from a friend or from one headline of what you think about <laughs> NFTs, spend 20 hours actually 20 hours, and get educated because for everybody in this room and listening, it will become a part of life in the next decade. You're gonna pay your taxes through the blockchain because it's better. And so like, what are you gonna do then? You're gonna, this is the internet. This is different, social, there's some holdouts. The internet, none. And in 96, when everyone's like, I'm not gonna be on the internet, I'm like, it's impossible. And we really don't know many people at this point besides the most hippied out people that live in the jungles <laughs> and don't have technology. <laughs> like, you, it's very difficult to live life without interacting with the internet. I think in 20 years, it's gonna be very challenging to live life without interacting with consumer blockchain. Even the term NFT, I'm not sure will hold. You know, when we grew up in this game, back to <laughs> the story you just said, we called all these sites Web 2.0 sites. Facebook was a Web 2.0 yep. site. It wasn't a social media site. That term caught a little bit later. So sometimes I sit around, I'm like, man, I wonder if the term NFT even sticks. Or will somebody come up with something in 12 or 24 months that that becomes the acronym or the way we refer to these companies. But Web3 is here. The consumer blockchain's here. You're not gonna put the genie back in the box. And a lot is gonna come from that.
0: I'm Randy Zuckerberg here with Gary V, serial entrepreneur, chairman of VaynerX and CEO of V Friends. Um, so it's not like the greatest time in NFT world no. right now um, and so how you know what what do you think that's gonna shine have a cloud over the event or how, how are question. you thinking of talking to people you know, about that
1: luckily for our small so the for everyone who's listening if you're not educated there's been a major correction on pricing there was way too much frothiness you know Randy it's a very unique answer to vFriends and VCon. I think under normal circumstances, it could have been a bigger deal. The fact that I've put out hundreds of videos mm-hmm. in the last 15 months saying 99% of the NFTs in the market are going to zero. Everything's way too overpriced. <laughs> this is internet stocks, 1997. So many people in the V Friends community heeded my call and didn't overextend themselves, didn't spend money they couldn't afford to lose, mm-hmm. aren't over leveraged. So yeah, look, I mean I think Everybody feels better when their V friend is $60,000 instead of $27,000. You know, you lose money on paper, it never feels good, even though you haven't cashed it in yet. Luckily, and not luckily, that's the wrong word, properly because of the work I've put out for the last 15 months educating on this clear thing that was gonna happen based on everyone's behavior, I feel like we as a community in V friends land absorbed the blow a lot better than other places. Mm. We didn't speak about the floor price or how much money or what boats we were gonna buy with it. It was more <laughs> about character development, 50 year project, you know, be prepared, be careful this is volatile, I would say over and over, I'm like, I'm glad it's going well, but I will, and it happened, I'm like, when the market corrects, v friends will not be able to not get sucked in with it, because it's just gonna happen, so, look, I think, you know, I was very concerned 10 days ago, 15 days ago, when the market was clearly starting the process of correcting, I've been very happy with the tone and temperament of our Discord and our Twitter, I think, I think you you reap what you put in the work on, and I'm just incredibly proud that we were over-communicating aggressively yep. on that these prices were not sustainable and people need to be thoughtful.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, you and I have lived through this many times before. I We've had, you and I both, I'm sure, have had just millions of dollars of phantom wealth vanish and come back and vanish I mean, let's, again. Let's, I mean, go, let's <laughs> go to the
1: one that probably taught me the most. So I you know, through your help, was able to be an investor in Facebook years before its IPO. It IPOs at 42 and it goes to 19. Yep. <laughs> and I remember talking to so many of our mutual mm-hmm. friends who all had a hell of a lot more stock than I did because they actually worked at Facebook mm-hmm. and like had real And wealth, had spent it in their minds. Had spent it in their minds <laughs> and really panic sold in the 30s, in the teens. Mm-hmm. And today, I mean, I don't, I've never told you this, I don't know if you know this, at this exact second, I have still not sold one share of Meta mm-hmm. since the day I bought it. Wow. And so, and what, and I'll tell you what upsets me about that. What upsets me about that is there was a lot of people who worked for three, four, five years, 15 hours a day mm-hmm. at Facebook before it went IPO and panicked when I had double conviction. I wasn't really buying, like in hindsight, I was so, I had so much conviction. I didn't have a lot of liquid at that time, but. There was nothing I was more sure of yeah. than that $19 a share Facebook was the best <laughs> deal that I had ever come across. I didn't I couldn't buy more per se, but when I think about that journey, that's how I feel now. I mean, this weekend I spoke to my financial team. I'm like, "I need to buy more CryptoPunks during this downtime." <laughs> like I believe in yeah. it. I believe in it, and and I want to, you know, you think about Ethereum going to proof of stake this summer. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of, you know, rationale if you're educated. I learned a lot, I learned when Facebook went through that, how many people talked about Facebook with no knowledge about Facebook. Mm. And that's what's happening right now. Mm. All the jokes that I see on Twitter about NFTs being down are just from people who love to razz, who, who lean into cynicism, who haven't spent a single hour educating themselves on what's going on and treat everything like blanket. Let me explain to everybody, this will land in two seconds. Just because Beanie Babies crashed in value doesn't mean stuffed animals were not gonna be important. Yes. <laughs> Just because certain projects in NFT land have gone from $50,000 in value to $40, which we haven't seen that extreme, but $50,000 to $8,000, doesn't mean the NFT movement's dead. Go Google, for everybody's listening right now, go Google the internet is a fad, and go read every article <laughs> that was written after internet stocks crashed in 2000, how, the Wall Street Journal wrote articles, the internet is a fad. I mean, people love to tear down yeah. from a place of righteousness and from a place of being hurt and angry and cynical, and I love that because that's where I win. I I deploy practical optimism and focus, and so, you know, it's funny when you started your question, I could see where you were about to go, and I wanted, I didn't want to interrupt, but I wanted to jump in and say, good. Like mm. I feel a lot more comfortable today than I did three weeks ago because we've started the correction which is when it gets more fun. Yeah. The internet was much more fun and, and had the right people in it in 2002, three, four, <laughs> five because all the gold rush people had left and gone into banking and other things. <laughs> Same thing's happening with NFT land. This will clean up. Many people will leave and go back to trading and you know, selling homes in real estate or whatever fad they think is where they can make a quick buck. That person will get weeded out the innovators and the builders will build, and then in 2031 it'll be a way of life. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about the fact that um, uh, Emirates airline today announced that they're accepting Bitcoin. I don't see that headline going everywhere. <laughs> All of a sudden, Bitcoin has use now. I, I mean, I fly to Dubai a lot. I can now use my Bitcoin. That becomes utility.
0: It's the best airline to fly on. That's <laughs> real really utility. Is. <laughs> so you know, so
1: I think I think people choose to see what they want to see. I think mm-hmm. we've learned in the last decade in society that humans are very capable of seeing different things. you know. And, um, and I, I'm very empathetic to why people don't see what's happening in NFT land. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of work. I've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours that I didn't have to get educated to give me the hypothesis and the pattern recognition and the strategies that I'm deploying. I'm empathetic that a lot of people don't want to put in that work, can't put in that work, don't have the capacity for that work. So I understand where people come from. But this movie I've seen, I'm a, I'm a young man, I'm 46 years old. This is the third time I'm seeing the same exact mm. movie. The internet is not real. <laughs> Social media is not real. NFTs are not real. And I'm just gonna continue to you know, execute against what I see in consumer behavior and people's actual actions, not someone's opinion on people. Uh, and, and that's what I focus on.
0: I love that answer and it's making me, I'm just, I'm smiling on the inside and outside because this is, this is the moment where it's nice to be the veteran in the room, isn't it? I mean, I, I run a discord of mostly women and and diverse founders called, called the hug. I go by mother hugger (laughs) in in our discord. And, and, uh, it was the same thing, you know, everyone's, uh, panicking a little and I'm just like, Everyone, I have seen this so many times and it's so fun to prove people wrong. In five years from now, it'll be so fun to prove people wrong. It is
1: fun. It's fun because you sit with your convictions. You know, I'm a big fan of not convincing. A lot of people have hit me up Mm -hmm. these last two weeks. They're like, Gary, we need you. I'm like, I'm not interested in convincing anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't have energy to debate someone on something neither one of us are sure is gonna happen, I'd rather just execute on what I see and let the chips fall. I think way too many people have this incredible passion to convince people, that's all, that's all I see now. All I see is people living their lives on social media trying to end real life, trying to <laughs> convince people to see the world the way they see it. Yeah. I think it's an unhealthy energy that's incredibly difficult, because I don't know if you've heard, and I know all of, we, all of us have heard, people dig into their beliefs. <laughs> so if you don't believe in NFTs, then mazel tov. you don't have to I'll see you <laughs> in 2030 we'll see how the chips played out and we'll have a conversation and that's how I see it yeah
0: alright so you mentioned CryptoPunks was yep. that uh, talk to me about some of the first NFTs that you bought and what Tw- kind of your aha moments were 2017
1: CryptoKitties hit my radar because it got a little buzzy yep. and I, I, I've i been trying and I just I'm desperate to remember why I didn't go all the way in because I remember being incredibly curious because I love collecting I'm like ooh digitally that's cool like you know i really liked it and but i didn't go deep and i just don't remember how why i got sidetracked then 2020 top shot mm-hmm. nba top shot hit my radar because fred wilson the iconic venture capitalist sent me an email you, what's great about people like fred is you don't hear from them unless it's important so we haven't <laughs> talked for 4 years except glancing waving at nick games so i knew it was important it was roham when i googled roham who's the fa- founder of nba top shot I was like, "Oh my God, that's one of the CryptoKitty founders!" So immediately, I took the meeting. Um, we had a great meeting. He talked me through it. I thought it was really clever. I was super deep into sports cards at the time, and I saw a lot of interesting things. And, and then, and then it launched in the fall. And then, Media was navigating post-COVID, and there was a lot of decisions I had to make in August and September for the organization for the following year. I got incredibly busy. I wasn't able to go deep, top shot the way I wanted to, which was fine, and then it did super well. I was like, God damn it, because I was gonna go big. <laughs> I was done really, really well. And I was like, damn it. But it was on my radar, and then Kevin Rose, our friend, um, and I had a call in December. I was trying to convince him to buy Michael Jordan rookie cards. He was talking to me about X-Men number one, their first comic, and I was like, I really want to get into comics. And then just in passing, just like a good old chat, he's like, do you have any CryptoPunks yet? And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, it's an NFT. And I was like, huh. He's like, check it out. I'm like, okay. So got home, really caught my attention with, on Top Shot. Now this. I'm like, something's going on. Four and a half hours later, because I started at 10 p.m., it's like three in the morning. And like that thing is happening where I'm like, uh oh, there's something happening. And for like the next week, I spent like 10 hours a day reading the history of CryptoPunks reading Twitter and discords of why it was important, really, really did my homework, spent a ton of time googling things like why crypto punks are a fad, why crypto punks won't work, why crypto punks are a sk- <laughs> One thing I like to do when I feel something is hear as much of the counter argument as possible. You know, because... I'm very intuitive and I'm good at what I do, but I think it's incredibly important to stay humbled. And just because you've done well in the past doesn't mean your next hypothesis is gonna be right. So I did a ton of homework on that. Nothing was compelling enough to talk me out of it. And it and in February of 2021, I bought a ton of CryptoPunks and really started my journey. Realized this was big, big. Realized the only way, the reason I'm a DNF student is because I don't learn from just consuming information. The reason I'm a good entrepreneur is I learned from doing. So I was like, I got to do my own project. Took a step back, realized I wanted to be V friends and the rest is history.
0: I'm so delighted to be here with incredible entrepreneur and dear friend, Gary V. Thank you so much, Gary. And let's Thanks, hear it everybody. with our live studio audience. Yes. <laughs> All right. It is- it's so fun to have the energy of being back with, with live 100%. people. Um, and Gary is just uh, minutes away from heading to Minneapolis for, for VCon this week, so we're delighted to Thank have you, you here. All right, so we talked about CryptoPunks, but I, you learn a lot from someone about what's in your wallet. So, what, what's in your wallet right now that you're excited about? I have a lot about? of stuff. What am I excited about? <laughs> just a about? couple. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: you know, I minted World of Women.
0: Mm. Which, that was uh, my
1: first NFT. And, and that was a huge, has turned out to be a huge project. Um, I have 10 Night Goddesses, oh, which amazing. is like the good one there. And so I'm very excited <laughs> about that. I You're did, like, there's crickets really in the well. room. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's all new stuff. Um, you, you know, um, I love some of the smaller artists. Mumbot, she'll be at VCon. Mm. She's got this really cool style. It's like, it's kind of like um, characters from like, when you're five or six, like stories about the forest and like Little Red Riding Hood and like Casper the Friendly Ghost. She's got this incredibly fun storytelling style so I bought a lot of her art. I'm very fond of her. Creature World, um, Danny Cole is this really cool contemporary artist in here in New York. Uh, I liked his contemporary art because he put some stuff into Hudson Yards where VaynerMedia's office is. Mm. I was like, that's cool. I, I'm funny, I'm not like Jackson Pollock, I'm more like Andy Warhol, I'm not like Pablo Picasso, I'm more like Banksy, like I like (laughs) characters, I like pop culture, so anything, you know, for me the art that I've been collecting or things in my wallet, they look more the part of collectibles than let's say classic art. Mm -hmm. There's some beautiful work, photography, Drifter. Mm -hmm. I think photography, NFTs, Have not popped off yet to the level that I think they may. Totally, uh, Julie Pacino. She's got this crazy cool project where the photography represents the movie she's trying to make. So she fundraised for her movie through selling NFT photography that is like scenes from the movie. So I think. I think NFTs are gonna become a huge fundraising mechanism for the arts, so I see Broadway, film, and music albums being funded by NFTs that, in my opinion, once the SEC regulates and gives us clarity, will actually allow you to be a piece of the action and be the funding, so back to what you do so profoundly well on Broadway, you may, instead of going to investors or self-financing a show, you may come out with a collection of NFTs and It may rep all 5,000 pieces, may represent 20% of the ownership of the show. And for everybody who buys pieces, they don't not only get the collectible, but they may get like 0.3% of the back end. And if God willing it's Dear Evan Hansen, they make a lot of money. And so I think that um, there's a lot of fun stuff like
0: that. Other things in my wallet. The actors might actually get a part of the show then, too. How cool.
1: And by the way, you know what I really love about it? It's an open market. So, even let's say the actors contractually, because that's what the show decided, don't get any of the pieces from it. Or maybe they get one. But let's say you're the actor and you're like, this is, you know, I always love watching documentaries. And I've always loved when the actors talk about like a huge show. They're like, I knew it. First day on set, I could just tell it was going to be something. It's kind of cool. Imagine that actor can go and buy 10 NFTs like after the first day of filming because they're like, I believe in this. And it's going to open up all these new realms. Um, I I think that there's, for me, I like older projects. So we talked about CryptoPunks. 2021 was the year this all exploded. In 2021, in 2022, there's more NFT projects coming out every day than there was any NFT projects from 2017 to 2020. There are more projects that come out every day in NFT land today than existed from 2017 to 2020. So for me, I like buying the 2017 to 2020 projects, Curio cards, which by most people's standards is one of the first Ethereum projects, even before CryptoPunks. I like those, um, Plasma Bears, uh, really cool, like almost like build build a bear concept <laughs> that was done on a secondary chain, and then that chain shut down, so all the bears didn't make it over back to Ethereum, so they got destroyed. So it's got this crazy cool uh, uh, story. Um, crypto skulls, um, just anything from the pre-2019 era really interests me because I think this is gonna be big and I think in 30 years when people look back, they're gonna look for the stuff that happened before this pop moment. I think they're gonna be categorized. You know how comic, I don't don't know if anybody's a comic book, but right? It's the Silver Age, the Golden Age, you know, that kind of stuff. I think there's something pre-2020 and back that is gonna have a lot of collectible stories and documentaries about and books, and, and so I collect a lot of that stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but uh, getting into digital art has actually turned me into more of a physical art collector also. I feel like I'm actually like more into physical art also as I've, I've gone deep in NFTs. I don't know have you seen anything like that happening with, in your own life. It has been the most
1: interesting part. Huh. I can't, I'm so pumped you just said that. <laughs> it has been the most interesting part for me. I have never in my life considered collecting art, buying art, or giving a rat's ass about any <laughs> piece of art. I am stunned by how much interest I have. Yeah. It, and this, was, this is kind of how the world works. There are people who think the world is abundant and there are people who think the world is scarce. And if you think people are taking out of you, you're always gonna be unhappy. And if you think somebody else's is winning is fine and you can win too and their winning has nothing to do with you, you're gonna always be happy. The contemporary art scene last year, when this first hit the scene, was unbelievably non-acceptant. Which blew my mind, because they've been fighting for their seat at the table just recently, it's not like their are <laughs> classic art from the 1800s, this contemporary art scene is really a 1960s to f- late 50s, really 60s, until now phenomenon, it's a new phenomenon. And so all of a sudden, people that collect Andy Warhol are saying NFTs aren't real art is laughable because they were told in 1965 <laughs> that their stuff wasn't art. And I just, I didn't understand it. Or graffiti artists or tattoo artists, like, I didn't understand, I was like, and it's so cliche, isn't it, right? Like, this is what people do. They fight for their seat and then the next, thing comes and they fight against them and it's like, why are you doing this? Meanwhile, what has played out, and we're two of the individuals, and I've seen this over and over, I am probably going to buy a ton more contemporary art in my lifetime only because NFTs came along in a world where I never would have otherwise. And this is what I keep trying to teach people in life. You know, Tearing people down instead of cheering for people is the binary perspective that I think leads most people to unhappiness instead mm-hmm. of happiness. And so for me uh, I've been affected very much by that. I'm looking at real physical <laughs> art so much more and I'm renov- I'm like I'm decorating right now and I'm going to buy real art. I mean I I can't believe it, but I'm going to buy <laughs> real art.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. Okay, I'm glad it's not not just it's not me. Just you. It's been. Um, I was also. I was just in South America this week, and I was. I started laughing hysterically. I went to a modern art museum, and there was a whole thing on the wall about how an artist started putting their art in newspapers. People were like, "That's it. It's the end of art. How could you distribute it so widely? You're not a real artist." And uh, like print making art was was just panned you, you want for one? years.
1: I think Kevin Rose, actually, but I, I don't want to misquote. So one of my friends, we were having this conversation, goes, do you know what's even crazier? I was like, what? He was like, when canvas art hit the scene, <laughs> the artist of the day said it wasn't real because it could be destroyed. The only real art was art that was on buildings. <clears throat> canvas. So, like, what, like, I don't understand how people don't understand that this is just how it always works. Like, don't become the begrudging old man (laughs) saying, you know, like, this is not how we do it. And just, it's a very normal societal reality. It's a human truth that comes up all the time. And it's really unfortunate because. It, there's really no reason for it. The idea that yours is better than someone else's. We see it in religion and race and gender and politics. It's really an unfortunate framework. And we see, in you know, art's much sillier than some of the stuff I just talked about. But watching people, like, like cool, let's look at the history books. Here it is. Your canvas art was considered not art. Is that true? Like, <laughs> do we have to go and draw on buildings? Like, is that what it takes? And so I think... um I'm really excited for this generation of artists who are digital artists, they have a place now. Many of them are gonna make a living that would have otherwise had to work at an agency like mine or something else doing something that they weren't as passionate about. And for me, anytime the artist wins, the world is a better place. Now, a lot of artists are gonna have to realize that supply and demand and market is still real life just because you can make an nft doesn't mean people are going to buy it so there's still (laughs) going to be that thing so i see some of my friends learning the hard way of that they just figured well it's an nft i'm like people still need to want to buy it (laughs) um but it, it is definitely there's so much like the internet opened up the world for many people to do things that they would have never otherwise been able to do the blockchain nfts is about to create an opportunity for many artists to be working artists, have a family, sustain their, you know, food and shelter and travel all by being an artist. Not everyone's gonna make fourteen million dollars a year, but there are so many artists on worth in the world right now that are project managers, accountants, doctors, mm-hmm. lawyers, teachers who would much rather make 103,000 a year selling their art than making 200,000 being a lawyer or much rather make 53,000 a year being a working artist in NFT land versus making 93 being a regional manager for a retail chain. Like This is gonna open up a lot of happiness.
0: For sure, but I'm I'm glad you mentioned the hard work part because I I always say it's like it's like writing a book. the the book writing is the easy part. It's what comes next, and I think a lot of people think you just put an NFT out there and then uh, it sells. I I remind
1: people it's like it's like a social media account. People used to, like literally at business conferences when we were coming up the game, come to me and like they're like Gary, I have a, a a car business in Texas. I'm like that's awesome. He's like I have a Twitter. I'm like great <laughs> they thought the ROI was the Twitter
0: I was like that's just so, the beginning or they put out a press release like yeah. so-and-so business has yeah. opened a Facebook account yeah like, it great. was like
1: it, I mean and, and by the way back to pattern recognition that's what websites were yeah. my 1999 conversations were Gary we have a website I'm like great that means you have a storefront now you have to get people in and buy stuff like okay. and so uh, you know the concept of hard work and patience mm-hmm and lack of entitlement is incredibly challenging. Yeah. The level of humility and patience one needs to build a substantial anything, child as a parent, <laughs> business <laughs> as an entrepreneur, government, organization, nonprofit, like it takes a lot of time and work wow. and most people just don't want that. They, they're convinced that there's shortcuts. They just don't exist. They, the perception of them existing exists but the reality and success—you're going to struggle to find someone.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. I'm Randy Zuckerberg here with Gary V, serial entrepreneur, chairman of VaynerX, and CEO of V Friends. So, Gary, take us through a few of your projects right now. We talked about V Friends, but you have Flyfish. You have <laughs> so many exciting things. Uh, what's what's new in those worlds?
1: You know, it's been a lot of doubling down at this point. But I'll, but earlier. Six months ago, a year ago, was getting some projects off the ground. Flyfish Club is really exciting. I have a restaurant group called the BCR Group. Uh, Chef Connor, Chef Capon, and David Rodolitz and I have a restaurant group. We uh, we have a st- active restaurant in New York right now called Ito. Uh, which is a sushi spot down in Tribeca. You should check it out if you can get a spot. I can't even get in, it's like a mess. <laughs> I thought like, the point of owning a was being able to get a reservation, <laughs> but omakase is challenging, so. <laughs> Not when you have a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, I've, I've learned the hard way. Can I get in? No, I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, but the Flyfish Club is the big one. We have a concept that we're really excited about. We're, we're gonna start breaking ground here pretty soon. It should be open early next year. Um, it's a restaurant club, and the access to the club is an NFT. And so, mm. when you look at the country club model or Soho House, Zero Bond, these great executions, you pay a fee and then you pay the fee and you can go. Whereas, with what the NFT world allows you to do is have an asset. So, you have the membership, but let's say you get bored of our place after four times, or you and move, you, or you move. Or, you just, or the market went up and you just want the profit and you're willing to eat elsewhere. <laughs> the fact that you can literally just put it up on the blockchain and sell it and then it transfers is pretty profound. We're really excited about it. We, I think it's gonna play out in anything that looks like a membership in the world. It's, a, it's better than having a plastic card or a QR code or an app. This is where the blockchain infrastructure is really gonna play out. Uh, and so we're really excited about it. We have a very strong concept of kind of modern seafood fusion, and so we're just we're down to the nitty gritty on location. We're going to break ground and launch it, and it's been really fun. And we what's cool about the blockchain is you know who owns it. So for example, we're probably four to six months behind schedule. We mm. feel that anxiety, and so we we're doing pop up events. We did this huge event in Miami. If you own a flyfish token, you can come. We just did one in Ito. Closed the restaurant for a bunch of people. Uh, The the BCR gang is doing a private event in Minnesota this weekend for people that own fly fish clubs during VCON because there's a lot of crossover. We're looking we're going to do something in the Hamptons so this summer so it's fun. What I really love is just innovating in new worlds. So Mm -hmm. the restaurant space, the hospitality space, I think is going to be very affected by this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not actively involved in this, but me and AJ. Uh, my brother AJ owns a sports representation business, mm. Vayner Sports. So he's created a Vayner Sports Pass. It's been really cool access to our athletes, pop up events at the Masters and the Super Bowl and the NBA Finals. So he's playing hard in that world. I'm obviously a big piece of the business, not really running the NFT project, but that's a lot of fun. You know, Avery runs Vayner NFT, which is one of our consultancy companies inside of the Vayner X universe that I'm the CEO of. She's amazing as you know. And Absolutely. So she's involved in all sorts of things. We've worked already with Budweiser and Pepsi and we're helping the biggest brands in the world kind of onboard into this world. So we've got our hands in a lot of that stuff. So keeping very active.
0: It's it's exciting. You know, I to the membership idea, the membership token, that was actually the moment that NFTs clicked for me, I have mm-hmm. to say, because um, I've been on a lot of nonprofit boards and, and a lot of things. And um, the moment that I realized that you could actually run a nonprofit or an organization with an NFT where you serve your, your time on the board, and then when it's time to rotate off, you have an asset. Yeah, it's really cool. At the end of that, that, that was really the moment that I thought every organization is going to be run this way in the future.
1: I'm on the board of Pencils of Promise and Charity Water a well member and one thing I'm talking to those organizations about is these, you know, these auctions that many of us have gone to. You know, you do the silent auction many times when I've wanted to donate to an organization, whether it's I'm on the board or I was invited or I've gone, you know, you're bidding on stuff that you're not even sure you really want, but you just want to donate and you're like, whatever. (laughs) Like, you know, like I still think I Vander Holyfield owes me a boxing lesson, (laughs) like, like stuff like that. But for me... (laughs) <laughs> an NFT can be really a great asset, right? You donate, you get an NFT. Maybe it's an artist that the organization teams up with, uh, with us, with Pencils of Promise. We, you know, we build schools in in Ghana and Laos and Guatemala. You know, I was already thinking, like, what if we took a artist from or artists from those regions, emerging young artists. We could change their lives, right? You take a young female artist from Guatemala that would never have a platform and now her NFTs are being auctioned off. Because a lot of those auctions will do, like the last auction will be like, does anybody just wanna donate? You're not getting an experience. (laughs) Do you wanna just donate 500 bucks or something like that if you go to these things? Well now, very low cost, every one of those people can get an NFT. That becomes an asset. God willing, that artist goes on to become someone, all of a sudden that NFT's selling for $5,000 10 years later, but there's a 10% royalty going back to the charity. That's what's so profound about NFTs. There's a royalty component that sits with the asset every time it's sold for the person that issues it. So every time a friend, for people that are listening at home and don't know how NFTs work, every time, so I sold my friends for a couple thousand bucks. They now sell for 50, 60,000, $100,000 a piece. Every time one is sold, VFriends gets a 10% royalty. So on the way here I saw one, 12, 12, one sold for $25,000. VFriends Inc. got $2,500 got $2, in royalties. So what's profound about the blockchain is when the, you know when Andy, when, when I, uh, so I had some art, the original v Friends art sell at Christie's, which was the weirdest and the coolest and for my mom. It was like <laughs> the greatest thing I ever did. So it went really well. And my pieces sold for a lot of money. And I'm sitting there, I was in San Diego at the airport on Wi-Fi because I had to fly for a speech. And I was sitting there and I was like, this is unbelievable, I was in this incredible high, my art is selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars at Christie's, and the next piece up is an Andy Warhol. And I'm having these feelings <laughs> that you and I were just talking about, I'm like, I'm gonna buy this. So I like text the person that was helping me, like, can I bid on this? They're like, you need an account, I'm like, I don't have one, can you help me? Like, and we're just texting back and forth, and I bought it, right? The fact that Andy Warhol doesn't, or Andy Warhol's family doesn't get a penny of that, Sotheby's, Christie's, auction, how eBay makes it. Every time Disney, you go to eBay right now, in the next 24 hours, do you know how much Disney collectibles are gonna be sold? Millions, potentially. Disney makes zero. Mm. The person that owned it, 20 years later, they made money. eBay made a lot of money. Transaction fees, right? Credit card companies made money. But not Disney who created Dumbo. Yep. In blockchain, in NFT land, Disney will always take a percentage. Mm-hmm. The artist will always take a percentage. It's pretty cool that the person that creates the Providence is allowed to substantially keep the economics in perpetuity forever. So, very different, very different new realities coming to our world for the people that issue the art.
0: Absolutely. I remember the first time that I, when I first started getting in, into NFTs and I asked one of the artists, I was like, are your feelings going to be hurt if I put one of my NFTs up for sale of your art? And she's like, no, I love that because then I'm going to make the money loyalty. on that sale. Like, please put my she's art like, up sell. for sale. <laughs> and, uh, and that, I mean, when has that ever been Never. possible before? Never.
1: Artists, if you do a little homework, I, I, I did a bunch of homework on the contemporary art scene because I wanted the context historically to understand what was happening. It's a terrible feeling, right? You're 50-50 with the gallery and then the collector's making all the money. The collectors that were right about you made way more money than you. Mm-hmm. You sold the pieces for 10,000 bucks, they're selling it 16 years later for a million. And a lot of artists, now of course that's good because then you're getting commissioned for more, but the economics, for a lot of artists, though will make sense, some of them, the second painting they ever made was the one, the one. And so I'm very happy for the artists and the entrepreneurs. It takes a lot of work to get the world to fall in love with Cinderella. <laughs> It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to get people to care about Pikachu. That's not just drawing Pikachu. That's marketing, (laughs) and gaming, and strategy, and storytelling, and business development deals, and IP expansion. And so, for example, for me, I've loved doodling my characters, but the real art is the next 50 years of getting the world to fall in love with Accountable Ant. The, the real art that I'm up to is getting people to fall in love with, you know, courageous cockatoo.
0: <laughs> in, our, in our final uh, minutes together, what, I mean, you've achieved so much. What, what's still on Gary's bucket list? What, oh, what's oh, still- So much. <laughs> I,
1: we started with it. I have a profound sense of guilt and gratitude mixed together on the fact that I was born with a communication style that resonates at scale. And I take on a very substantial sense of responsibility of that. I think for the people that are born on earth that have a communication style that connects with millions, I'd like to think more of them should pressure themselves to providing happiness and good, not selfish behavior. And so VFriends for me is a culmination of something I started realizing a decade ago. I'm like, okay, I have some sort of gift here. Let me not blow it. Yes, I have plenty of selfish things that I'd like to accomplish for myself because I'm a human being. There's things I'd like to do. However, if I can really lean into selfishness of this, if I can teach the virtues that my mom taught me and my dad that really made me happy and content, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm as content as one can be, yet my ambition is through the roof. Finding that balance, right? And really on that thing we talked about, Randy, I really have a profound passion to change the conversation about what it looks like to be an empire builder. I don't want people that are born with entrepreneurial spirit to be demonized because they're good at building businesses. I wanna teach them that they can do what I do, which is treat everyone nice. Most of all your employees, next your partners. If you do that right, you'll be just fine. You'll get everything you want. And so I have so much on my bucket list. I wanna change many conversations that are perceived in society, and I wanna reframe them. The reason the mascot of v Friends is a black cat is because the black cat in v Friends is called the very, 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 very lucky black cat. The reason I did that was an inside joke to myself, not an inside joke, excuse me, it was an inside conversation to myself which is V Friends' 55 year mission, I've decided I'm gonna live to 101, VFriends <laughs> 55 year mission is to look at subject matters that society's struggling with and really compel uh, a conversation, for example, the reason I brought up accountable ant just a few minutes ago, and why I'm so focused on that little guy, and why I made an accountable anteater, it's one of the only words I did twice, is because I think right now in, our, in the human race, one of the biggest reasons that so many people are struggling is that we've demonized accountability. Nobody wants to be accountable. Mm. We're really good at telling everybody else why they suck. <laughs> we love pointing fingers but we're really bad at pointing thumbs. I actually believe that if you champion accountability, that if we make that a good trait, if we make it something that people don't wanna run away from and say, I'm not good at this, or I did this wrong, that we can have a much happier society and I wanna make Accountable and popular, right? Competitive clown, very important in my world. <laughs> we, in a lot of pockets in our society, have decided to demonize competition. That is incredibly dangerous because it's not the human spirit. Like ninth place trophies have led to entitlement at scale by grown-ups. Yeah. Like I don't want to. I don't want kids crying. Well, actually, I do. I like competition. <laughs> I think I actually. I swear to God, my son had a baseball game the other day and went, they lost and one of his teammates was crying and I ran right over him. I'm like, "Cry more." I'm like, "Crying's good. That means you care. That means you, like it's okay." And I think we overcorrected, which is nice, right? You don't want kids to feel bad because they're not good at baseball but to completely eliminate merit and the human spirit has led to a lot of collateral issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the things I see in the world, you know, come in different shapes and sizes, back to that purple, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna use the vehicle of VFriends to communicate that, and, and I, have, I think I can make the world a happier place, and that's a very big bucket list item for me.
0: I love it. It's so wonderful. Gary, you make so much content. Where can people go? Where do you most want to direct people to go uh, oh, check out everything you're working on? You're like, here's <laughs> the list. Let me say this. It's, inc- it's, it's, it's incredibly
1: hard. Not, <laughs> I think I annoy people because I show up everywhere and too much. So I'm not overtly worried about people finding me. They can find me if they want to. What I would say is this this last five minutes that we just talked about. If you are happy, if you're listening to this and you're a happy person, I have a very important observation that I'd like to share. Negativity is extremely loud. People that are hurt and unhappy are incredibly loud on social and in coffee shops and amongst their peers. Happiness is not. Us happy people are so happy and strong that we don't even feel this obligation or compelled to deal with it. We just kind of move on in our happy way. I believe that if you are a happy person in the world, that you are fortunate, you got you one circumstance, your parents, environment, something worked for you, and that if you're happy, you need to be louder. And so, I'm very loud, because I'm happy. And I think the other happy people out there tend to be quite quiet, and we need to step up, because unhappy is loud as heck.
0: Gary, it's such a, a pleasure to be here with you. I look forward to uh, to, to being here again in, in 20 years I when we're wait. at the forefront of Web 4, I'm going to crush six. Web 4. Yeah. Crush Web 4. We're, we're going to be like 80 <laughs> right wait. here crushing. Honestly, I'm really
1: hoping that <laughs> Web 4 happens in 20 because 5 is my favorite number. It's why I'm always taking photos like this. If I can make it to Web 5, yep. that's going to be my era. Yeah, no, I'm telling right now. I'm predicting
0: right now. We're there. We might not have all of our teeth, but we're <laughs> no. going to be right here oh in the well, studio I, interviewing. I am so, so, ready so. with no
1: teeth. 85 years old, dominating Web5. Gary Jack,
0: what a pleasure chatting with you today. Special thanks to my producer, Dana, to Brian in the control room, to the awesome team and to our live Crowd. studio audience. Thanks. Tune in next week for a brand new episode here on Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg.